Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome. You're in the War Room. It is Saturday, 16 July, the year of our Lord, 2022. We're going to get into it today. We're going to have uh, Jerome Rivera hopefully uh, here. Uh, in the war room in, in a little while, but we're going to go spend the next go through um, what is called the economist this week called this how to win the long war. And I know if you're on the podcast or on radio, you can't say I've got the cover up. By the way, this is why you've got to go. Everybody's got to go uh, to our website, join our email list. You get the daily show notes. Uh, they come out and they've got a lot of the videos associated with them or go to getter. Everybody in our audience should be on Getter. Why should you be on Getter? You get the best of Ben Harnwell. Harnwell's on fire on Getter. He's doing live streams. He's putting analysis. But I put up stuff all day long. I'm putting up 20 or you know 30 pieces all day long uh, about an analysis of the top of us. So you reading, kind of understand what's going on in the world politically, geopolitically, economics, capital markets, uh, politics here or throughout the world. The Economist has got how to win the long war. Okay, and uh, it's all about a very skewed and very wrong-headed uh, approach to uh, approach to uh, the Ukraine, which is uh, something that uh, we would never agree with about their what their policy is towards towards Russia. Earlier in the week, and I, want, I kept a stack of stuff here. Early in the week, and this is what remember in the, during the week I was heckling uh, I was heckling everybody about this. You had because uh, remember the forty billion dollars, the forty billion dollars of your money that was voted. They first of all had to move the entire um, discretionary spending bill of $1.5 trillion in the middle of the night. Couldn't even read it. Why? It was so important to get the $10 billion to Ukraine uh, for emergency measures. And the Republicans are the ones that agreed and pushed this in the Senate. That $10 billion, then it was followed by $40 billion. Nobody even read it. Took the heroic Rand Paul just to slow it down a bit. And, of course, the headline in, in the uh, – this was in the – I think it was Wednesday's – the Financial Times of London, not Gateway Pundit, right? Not National File. What does it say here? West fears arms sent to Ukraine end up on Europe's black market. Uh, Kiev issues assurances. The whole thing. Allies want a tracking system concern over criminal gangs. And as we noted, they're selling to the highest bidder, so they're actually selling some of this to the Russian military. It's the third most corrupt nation on earth. It's unworthy of being an ally. It will never be an ally because an alliance can never get two-thirds of votes in the United States Senate. Impossible. Because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the third most corrupt place on earth, and you're showing it right now. We're pouring men and materials into Ukraine with very little understanding of what's going on, and, and 
The Republicans have not forced Joe Biden to come. At least in Vietnam, we had a Tonkin Gulf resolution. I think in the in the uh, in the Gulf War, uh, you had resolutions. You had to vote on these war resolutions. We need uh, to be for, to force Biden to come to the American people and explain what the objectives are. To explain exactly what we're doing there, because now the blowback from this uh, from this war is starting to, to metastasize and affect many many different things. We learned early in the week that Turkey is now working with them, sending them, uh, Iran sending drones. Turkey's very close to, to Putin. What I've warned about for years, and if you saw that movie called The Brink back in 18, by the way, if the filmmaker thought we were on the brink then, she, she must be in complete meltdown now. I would go around, I had my red notebook, and I would do that diagram. It said China, Persia, and Turkey. And they were controlling the Eurasian landmass. And maybe Pakistan was helping them out, or North Korea was helping them out. But I said, hey, the key thing here, the one thing we have to avoid, the one most important thing in American geopolitics is never let Russia partner with that axis. Never let it partner with China, Iran, and Turkey, because then you're going to have four dominant powers control of the Eurasian landmass. And from Japan, Taiwan, India, Australia, all the way to Western Europe, we'll be on the periphery of that. And that will make uh, that will change world power dynamics. And this is what we've gotten into. And, of course, the economist gets it totally wrong because their solution, their solution is to essentially get into a military conflict with Russia right now. That Russia has to be defeated in the Ukraine. And by defeated, I mean take back all the territory in eastern Ukraine, uh, protect the territorial integrity and sovereignty of, of, of Ukraine and self-determination of Ukraine, particularly in eastern Ukraine, and Kind of what Tony Blinken in, in Austin said, degradate severely Soviet military power. Now, Jerome Revere from the European Parliament is going to be joining us uh, hopefully in a little while, uh, in hour two. But I've got our international editor, Ben Harnwell. And Ben, you've really been on top of this. And, and kind of what's shocking, uh, given uh, the, the money we put into our, our Rome Bureau, right, the, the huge capital costs and the luxurious surroundings and your big staff, uh, that that you've been on top of this and ahead of the Telegraph, the Times of London, the French papers, the Financial Times, but particularly the Financial Times and the Economist. H- how could that be? How could a person that's working, let's say, let's say this, Ben works on a and and he's a, a, on a tight budget. We work on a tight budget in our international bureau. How is it, Harnwell, that you've been ahead of this of every development in the Ukraine? You've been weeks and weeks ahead of it. And still, the legacy media over there, still at this day, now we're in mid-July, still do not get it, sir. Um, it's an interesting question, Steve. I can only put it like this. Before I started formally working here on the war room for you, um, one of the great things I always admired about what you were doing when you were with the, the Trump campaign, when you were with the White House, and then when I started listening um, as an ordinary member of the posse, um, to the war room. This is this is back when I was working on our monastery project. It was your capacity to see the data points and to draw the straight line through them. Um, which, and what I have tried to do is to imitate you in that regard. So I spend about ten hours a day just just hoovering up all the press. I go to like the FT, Reuters, the AP specifically because I trust their data points. I don't trust their narrative. I don't trust their 
their, um, their interpretation, but I trust their data points. If they say a fact, that fact is likely to be true. They, 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 they might massage how they present that to fit their agenda, obviously. So learning from how you interpret the news, I've tried to, to copy that. And that's how we've been ahead on this, Steve. It's as simple as that. It's go to things like the, 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 the trustable media. Not, I, I can't underline this enough. Never for their interpretation. Um, and go to the data points and then try and analyze what's going on behind it. Um, you know, I've learned this from you and it's what I try to do on my live streams as well, on, on, my, on my contributions to the war room, is to say, look, here are the data points and this is what's going on behind that. You pushed out something on your, on your getter feed earlier on in the week, Steve, to do, it was, the, it was, it was an Axios story about um, how basically the Democrat Party is imploding. It's, it's losing all of, all of its minority support. And the only metric is ahead on is white college um, graduates. How did Axios, whose facts are normally okay, how did they spin that story? It was something like um, the Democrat, the Democrat in, in ground change, Democrats move ahead in, in white college um, graduate voters. That is to say, they, you read the story and you understand how badly the Democrat Party is in meltdown, but they're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you that explicitly. You, they're going to they're tell you the fact and let you work it. They'll probably bury the lead, but they'll let you work it out for yourselves. This is why the war room is, is doing such important work. Another example, Steve, we, um, I think back on the 5th of July, the war room was the first news organization in the world to talk about the link between Sri Lanka and the Netherlands. We were the first. And we were, I, did, I, did a, I, I did a number of contributions on the war room. I did a few live streams on it. And then earlier on this week, Tucker Carlson, who, does, who did a great job, carried it, right? But this is why I'm so proud of the war room, because we're the first on these things. And we're, we're, we're giving the posse, the war room posse, the correct straight line from the data points. We might not have the Fox Empire's media take, but people know that when they listen to us, they might think, oh, this is something like dissonant here about what I'm hearing, because I'm not hearing this on any other media. Give it time, give it a few weeks, give it a few months, right. and the rest of the media will pick up on it. T t tomorrow's news today. Um, talk to people. You've been, you're an Englishman, but you've been in Italy for a long time. We worked in the Monastery Project, and people should understand we're still. Uh, building our uh, our uh, training ground for gladiators, uh, the gladiators yes, of the new populist nationalist right. But but you've been there and you now have gotten back to Rome and, and you head up this. You're very very engaged in, in the war room every day and, and going through the analysis. This whole concept because I think a lot of people in the United States don't they see the independent nations of Europe, but they, this thing the EU we talk about or Davos and NATO. Why is the Ukraine, the Ukraine is front and center now on MSNBC. We call it the next big thing, right? It's what these guys always do to try to get, try to win elections. Why is the EU and why is NATO made such a big deal about it to, to the fact that we've actually got um, the economist now saying how to win the long war. And they are literally talking about now hunkering down for many years, if not decades, to get Russia out of Ukraine, and they say, hey, if we don't do this, it's all over. What, what is so powerful about the EU and NATO 
that that drives this entire conversation in Europe and particularly about the war in Ukraine? Um, well, let's wheel back a little bit, Steve, um, to the COVID crisis. We'd had two years of governments around the world locking up and imprisoning their own people, um, giving trillions of dollars away to, um, to, to the government's preferred client base and possibly was it $1,000, $2,000 to the average American. So that is a huge, a huge transfer of wealth that, made, that makes 2008 blush with shame. That is to say, that is to say, put that in, together with the, the populist nationalist revolt that we'd started to see take root right around the world. Basically, Steve, our governments were in a, in a crisis of authority. People, people were at revolutionary point right across the world. Um, and nowhere, nowhere more was this sentiment felt at the international level, where there is already no democratic mandate and no democratic legitimacy. And then comes Russia's invasion into um, Ukraine. And President Volodymyr Zelensky, to give him his credit, has a certain genius when it comes to communication and to tapping in to uh, in, in advance to a message. He, he, um, he, he doesn't have – hold on. He doesn't have a genius. The rest of these, he's an actor, a comedian. The rest of these people are just simps. It's embarrassing the way that they have <laughs> – groveled at this guy and slobbered all over him right yes it's so obvious it, it, what he's doing yeah. i mean he's played right into yes. it, but they they yes. want to be convinced it, it has been embarrassing yes. as an adult to see it when he did the big screen here in the capitol they had all the congressmen this five minute stand ovation they're all there like five-year-old yeah. school kids ben harnwell it, it's true steve it's true i'm not saying there's any depth or substance to his shtick but we didn't see anything like this when when russia had rolled into georgia a, a few years before. There is something about Zelensky that has captured the global imagination. Um, and this isn't, like, you know, just like a couple of cycles before, it was Greta. Like, if these people don't exist, the our, our sociopathic overlords would need to invent them. And that's effectively what they've done, right? <laughs> Hold it, hang on, hang on. You know, to hang, take a, we're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to come back and we're going to get into... What do you call our, the sociopathic overlords? I love that. You can get that on Getter. That's how Ben Harnwell describes them. Okay. We're talking about the long war and how <coughs> to really win it. Not what the uh, comments say. Hope you're doing okay. Don't cough up a lung on us, Ben. Short commercial break. We'll be back in the war in a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Make sure you go to mypillow.com promo code War Room. Check it out. We've got the uh we've got all the ver the verticals of towels and sheets and pillows. You got buy one, get one free in certain categories. Check that out. We've also got the slippers, best ones ever made. Now, what, 49 bucks? Check those out. You got the special sheets. They only are going to last as long as they last. $39. Best sheet ever made. 
for uh, Mike Lindell and the team. You got the biblical pillow and the biblical blanket for the kids and grandkids. And hey, maybe yourself, you never know. If you need it, use it, as I say. If it's a tool and you need the tool, use it. Um, but Mike Lindell's gotten the hook from all the big box. Why did he get the hook? Because he's standing up for your liberty and your freedom. He's fighting the good fight around the country on uh, voting machines and on uh, election fraud, all of it. So make sure you go to MyPillow.com, promo code WORM today, and check it out. Ben Harnwell, you've been doing some amazing analysis and connecting dots on, on the Ukraine. I want to, I'm a, want, walk us through your assessment, what you've seen recently in the news that points to points you've been making about the Ukraine and, and why are our sociopathic overlords of everything in the world you could be obsessed with? Uh, why have they, why have they gotten, why are they obsessed with this? Um, well, because it's given them back their opportunity to be legitimate and for there to be a need for them. When I was talking about Zelensky's certain genius, one of the things that he has done extremely well as he, he is in all of his comments, he's talking about values. He says he shares the values of the West, that part that Ukraine's future is part of Europe, not part of Russia. Now, for people, uh, in, especially at the European Union level, in this crisis of legitimacy, to hear another country um, that's, been, that's been invaded in this fashion, sort of talk, saying, hey, you guys, I really need, I'm part of you, I need your help. We're the same, you know, we go to the same conferences. World Economic Forum and what have you, you know, but 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 we're we're part of one another. Um, we need your help. Well, these you know, these guys who's meet and you know our, our sociopathic overlords whose meat and drink is broadcasting to the world their moral superiority. And what I mean by that that they're not dirty or oily greasy nationalists. These people are superior to these grubby um, values. Well. It's an invitation to be relevant again. And they took that invitation with both hands. Um, that's part of it. The second part of it, Steve, is simple grit. Hang on. Before you get off the first one, when you say values, I want to make sure I'm in the audience knows this. That's the values of, uh, of um, progressive America. When you talk about the EU and Davos, these are, these are not. It's the reason they came in and tried to shut down our monastery. They don't believe in the values, the traditional values of the Judeo-Christian West are what anathema to these people. What Zelensky puts forward is the is the secular values of the EU, of Davos, of the American ruling clique. I mean, the LGBTQ, the gender ideology, all everything to deal with the progressive left. I mean, people, MSNBC would be on here in the first night's broadcast, and they kept saying, you know, Kiev is very different in that it's got this social scene that's very much like Berlin, right? Very much like I should have said uh, Weimar, but very much like Berlin. Uh, they 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 praise because Ukraine is not and Zelensky and these guys don't promote the classic values of the Judeo Christian West. So when you say he shares the values, he signals to them the virtue signaling that he shares the ruling elites' values. And this is going to get to the politics of why I think many of the countries are pulling. Many the people in the country are saying, "Whoa, right?" You know, I think right now thirty three percent of the people oppose the war. It's down to 40 to, that are approved, and now the economics are just hitting in. But when you say he shows these people he, he, he wants the values of the West, he ain't talking about the Judeo-Christian values. He's talking about the values of the secularist, globalist, sociopaths that run this operation, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely correct, Steve. I couldn't have put it better. Um, he does. That's the language he talks. Uh, that's that's certainly the 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 gang that he wants to be a part of, and they want him in as well. Why do they want him in? Well, this is the second part of of what's going on. When I talk about grift, I don't mean it, it necessarily in, in I say the Latin American sense or the third world sense, where where ministers or senior civil servants will offer to give a, 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 a favoured tender or something for an envelope under the um, under the desk. It, it's far more subtle than that. It's these people at the UN at the WHO, um, at the European Union, they exist because they intervene constantly in our lives. And they have a mandate to do this, an illegitimate mandate, but they, they, they have a certain mandate to do this. So they're always there, um, getting involved, interfering with their, with their pointless regulations. And the more that these supranational bodies do, the more they get paid, the better pensions they get. You know, their the, the economies of scale, sort of false infrastructures, they grow larger like, like corporations to give you an opportunity to work up. So when I, meet, when I talk about grift, I mean it in this sense. The whole shtick, the whole, the whole job, the pensions and everything, it's dependent on this, what is it? This rules-based um, international order which they represent. They are the paladins of this order. Um, and that is why they claim that uh, Vladimir Putin has put this order under threat, which puts them directly under, it, under threat. Because it's not as if these people produce anything useful, uh, uh, as we would define this in terms of the, 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 the free market capitalism. The, 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 there's nothing they provide that people, they don't provide the service that people actually want. Um, but they have jobs for life. I think, you know, in the European Commission, they pay 10% income tax. Um, they have styles of life. And this is seeing this in practice, Steve, is what turned me from being a, quite a fanatical pro-European into an equally fanatical Eurosceptic. Because when I went to go and work in the European Parliament, I had all the, these pro-European ideals. You know, the, the EU's kept the peace for 50 years and all the rest of it. Um, it was when I went there that I, that I realized that no one was motivated by these ideals. They were just basically in it for themselves. You know, they, they, want, they wanted to go out on the best pension possible. They, you know, they work sort of hours. To say that they work hours is, is to over-egg it. They, they, they turn up in the office, they mill around and go to the bars in the parliament, and then they go home at 330 um, then they get months off and they can get years off if they want to go and, and study. I mean, it, the whole thing is a racket, right? And it's now increasingly seen as a racket, one of the reasons the UK pulled out. Um, Vladimir Putin gave them all their legitimacy back because they can go and grandstand. And all this money, you know, as, I, yeah, as we've been saying on the war room, right from the beginning, all this money that's going to go into Ukraine for the rebuilding of this country is going to go through through what through the European Union. It'll go through the President's Office of Ukraine himself, right? Uh, where where there perhaps we are talking more about the traditional Mr. Ten Percent philosophy than, than at the European Union. But this we're going to see the greatest transfer of wealth, I think, globally um, now when it comes to the rebuilding of Ukraine. Well, let's talk about the Ukraine. I, when you first mentioned it, I thought it was so ludicrous. I kind of blew you off. Said, "No, let's not put it on the show." 
And then the, 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 the Financial Times of London had it last week. They're already talking about a $750 billion, which will be a $2 trillion with time to finish, rebuilding of the Ukraine, that the EU and the United States, which means the United States, is going to underwrite. And you said, Steve, the whole purpose of this is to get the rebuilding because that's when the graft is. I blew you off, Ben, and that's before I understood when this headline came out to say that the arms. Remember, we're not making that many weapons because we never figured wars of attrition anymore. That's the other big article that's in the FT this week. We're running out of ammunition. In fact, they actually mention it in the Economist Long War uh, articles that one of the problems with this war of attrition is we're not really set up for this. That's the Economist cover right there, The long, how to win the long war. They say, hey, we can't really win it immediately on munitions because we don't have enough. Here, this is how bad the corruption of the grift is. West fears arms sent to Ukraine end up on Europe's black market. They're taking your money and your arms, at this, of the $40 billion and the $10 billion, it gets in there, and the criminal gangs and the oligarchs who are one and the same Take it and immediately sell it to the third world. To, to and they're selling it to the Russians. They'll take the, any highest bidder. Ben, we got a couple of minutes. The seven hundred fifty billion dollars they're talking about to rebuild Ukraine. How much of that's going to get? By the way, should the United States have any part of that at all, Mister Harnwell? No, the United States should have no part of that, and neither should the peoples of the European Union. When a country, when a country declares. You know, fights in a war like this it needs to check its resources this goes there's a gospel i think it's in matthew you know when, when someone comes to make war against you you check your resources and you decide whether you're going to go ahead um and fight them and if you don't have the resources you send an ambassador ahead an emissary ahead to make peace on favorable terms that's in the gospel right this is common sense um but what what are sociopathic elites have done is that they've enabled this war to start and to continue. And the sick part of this is, is that whilst they're feeding our, our elites, are feeding Ukra the Ukrainian people into the meat grinder as this war continues, they're standing there doing press releases as if they're, as if they're the, the protectors and... Um, and knights of freedom and democracy, and the, uh, constantly, as we were saying, talking about their values. The, the contrast between what is happening to, to the poor Ukrainians on the ground and the moral grandstanding of our, of our Western leadership couldn't be larger, and it couldn't be more disgraceful. Okay. Uh, ben, hang on for one second. I'll take a short commercial break. We're going to be back with how to win the long war. You have the economist version, and you have the war rooms version. All next. In the world. Cause we're taking down the CCP. Spread the word all through Hong Kong. We will fight till they're all gone. We rejoice when there's no more. Let's take down the CCP. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Um, the um, I want to make sure you go. Everybody go to our site to War Room, particularly to Captain Bannon's um, her Getter page. Find out all the information on um, on CPAC Dallas. I think it's August fourth through seventh. 
We're going to make a big showing there. So we want everybody, want all the War Room posse, buy tickets, participate. Uh, Victor Orban is coming in from Hungary. Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Your humble servant, Stevie K. Bannon, and many, many others. I'll be talking there and then hanging out for the duration, doing a broadcasting and making sure we get meet and greet. We want to have a real uh, get-together with uh, all the folks in the War Room Posse, so make sure you, you make it down there. Um, MyPillow.com, uh, please go there, support Mike Lindell and his great uh, fight, his crusade for uh, voter integrity and to make sure that we get to the bottom of what happened on, uh, on, on 3 November. Uh, I want to go back. But by the way, if we if 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 Denver can put up, do we have the map of the Eurasian landmass? If you have that, uh, we don't have that. Couldn't get that. Too tough. Well, just think about the Eurasian landmass for a second. I know you can get that in your mind. Maybe we can get it up on the the screen. I want to talk about Ben's mention and 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 uh, the head of the National Economic Council the other day. I think his name's Deese. He's a uh, Larry Fink Grundoon. This guy named Deese. He um. He said, uh, "What people are going to have to suck on the citizens are going to have to live with higher gas prices because this is all about uh, protecting the liberal world order. The liberal world—that was his quote: the liberal world order. And Americans just going to get used to five-dollar gasoline or six-dollar gasoline, or you know, just going to have to suck on it because we got to protect the liberal order." And I want—I had to do this one time with General Mattis and other guys to explain because they keep saying, "Well, the." The, the post-war, you know, international rules-based order is the greatest gift of the greatest generation. Whoa. Well, let's let's deconstruct that and talk about it. When, when the White House talks about the liberal post-war order, or Ben Harnwell's thrown it out, he mentions the EU, you got all this. What is it? What, what are we talking about? So here's a, a simple construct for you to think about. Now, think about the Eurasian landmass, and we get a uh, if we do get a map of that, let me know. Uh, it's up. Okay, put it up and you can do a split screen. Okay, I want to start in Europe and I'm going to go around the periphery of the Eurasian landmass. What is the post-war international rules-based order? What is it? You hear this talk all the time. It's like there's some mystery. It's a, it's a talisman or it's a, you know something that can't be explained. Secret size, secret handshake. Got to have a decoder ring. Well, no, you do not because it's actually pretty pretty simple, pretty basic. You go to Europe. You then go to the, let's say, the Persian Gulf, around the Middle East, the Persian Gulf, then go around the map, go already past India, go to the Straits of Malacca and the really the South China Sea right in there, that part. And then you go up to uh, uh, north, uh, either Northeast Europe if you're on the landmass or by Japan and Korea, what I call the Northwest Pacific from the United States perspective. So those four areas, those four areas of the world. What Now, what, what, what kind of ties them together? Well, first off, in each area, you have a... Uh, trade deals. The United States have trade has trade relationships with those areas, whether it's the EU or the countries, right? Has trade relationships. We have so we have trade deals. We have commercial relationships, strong commercial relationships in these areas. Tra- commercial relationships. We have capital markets, right? We I, your your pension fund money buys bonds over there through your brokers here or th- through the big investment banks or the, or the pension fund managers. So so it's an integration of of global capital markets and, and just in Europe. So you have. Trade deals, right? Codification of that. You have commercial relationships, and yes, you have cultural too. That, that, that's important. But you, I'm talking about hard. I'm talking about money and power. You have um, so you have trade. You have trade relationships. You have uh, you have commercial relationships, trade deals, capital markets, and then we have 
wait for it, an American security guarantee, whether that's NATO or what's happened for the $9 trillion we spent in the Middle East and what we still spend around the Gulf with the UAE. So you have an American security guarantee of your money and your children, the blood and treasure. So we have NATO, of which essentially the United States underwrites. Let's be blunt. Let's just let's have a partner's discussion. The individual NATO countries put in very little. They try to hide. They never put the 2% percentage of GDP, which I think ours is over 3.5% now. Remember, your defense bill every year is $1 trillion. Don't, don't look at the $880 billion or $840 billion they talk about. That's, not, that's accounting conventions. It's a trillion-dollar capital commitment. And we have, wait for it, a trillion-dollar deficit every year, a systemic deficit of about a trillion dollars. So you have a trillion-dollar defense bill, and your kids, that's why we have 100,000 combat troops right now, four deployed into the Balkans in the Poland. And that goes already against, that's, that doesn't even count the traditional Germany and Rammstein and all the bases we have over there in Italy and Germany, right, that were already, already, were already forward deployed in NATO. We've just spent $9 trillion in 20 years in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we're still the biggest supporter of Israel's defense budget. We're the biggest supporter of the Saudis, UAE, all of it. Right. We fought we fought wars there continually, uh, even with Reagan and the guys in, in Lebanon. But but in, in Gaddafi. But think about, you know, think about the Gulf War in 92 and then the war on terror and everything we did the last 10 years. So you're in the you're in the Gulf Emirates. Remember, trade deals, commercial relationships, capital markets, integrated capital markets and an American security guarantee, your money, your ships, your troops and your kids, your blood and treasure. Then you go around, you get to the. Littoral nations of the Straits of Malacca and the South China Sea, you know, Vietnam, Philippines, all that. Once again, commercial relationships, trade deals with each individual nation, uh, capital markets, and those are booming capital markets, right, with real growth. But once again, an American security guarantee. Back in, what, 1977, 78, a young Stephen K. Bannon's on a Navy destroyer. And what are we doing? We're patrolling the South China Sea, the, the Seventh Fleet, kind of the remnants of World War II. In Vietnam, we're still there on patrol to keep those sea lanes, those very important sea lanes, uh, free. And we're in the Philippines with Clark Air Force Base, and uh, uh, we've got uh, we've got Subic Bay Naval Base, the biggest naval base in the world at the time. So we're there. And once again, trade deals, commercial relationships, capital markets, and an American security guarantee with your blood and treasure. You get up to the Northwest Pacific, Abe. Just gave his life campaigning. What was Abe campaigning for? He says we got to get off of this just Japanese defense thing the ccp is ascendant it is coming after us it's an existential threat what we need to do is to drop that that clause in our constitution they were going to be past us we need to rearm we need to make japan great again this is why it's so close to trump and why is that south korea we have troops on the 38th parallel you know it's a, i think it's the american it was the third army or fifth army that's there. no the fifth army is a new group wait for it that's going to be headquartered in poland just announced that new fifth army group in poland 3500 four deployed combat uh, regiment team, I think, from the 101st uh, Airborne, the 101st Airborne, excuse me, Combat Brigade is going to be forward deployed there. So you've got, uh, once again, up in the Northwest Pacific, 38th Parallel, South Korea, ships all over the place, big naval bases at uh, Yokosuka uh, and a naval air station, I think, at Sugi, uh, right, with the, with parts of the 7th Fleet, the four deployed there, and still part of the 7th Fleet or the, the Pacific Fleet in Pearl Harbor, still forward deployed in Pearl Harbor. So, and that is, it's the American security guarantee that makes this international rules-based order. Now, remember this. 
in this rules-based order, this was the order that we allowed the Chinese to come into in the late 90s. We invited them into the World Trade Organization and the, uh, and the, and the uh, most favored nations. That was part of the rules-based order, come in and play by the rules. That economy, when we let them in, I think was just over a trillion dollars. It, it, it almost is as large as the American economy today. In 22 years, the Chinese Communist Party has been able to game the system and to become an economic superpower underwritten by American taxpayers and underwritten by your pension funds who have financed this. That's what the rules-based order did. The Chinese gamed the system while you were paying for the defense of it, right, including another $9 trillion into these Middle East wars. They took advantage of it. And so this is what's being defended now. When, when Deese comes out to the thing and says, no, we have to be in Ukraine. And, and what is, what do they all say? And, you know, Kamala Harris up there all the time, we're fighting for the, the, the sovereignty of Ukraine, the territorial integrity of Ukraine, these support, and we're, their, their self-determination. Now they're not on the southern border of the United States doing any of this, but they're in Eastern Russian speaking Ukraine. That's everything. And he, what does he say? If your $5 gas is a problem, that is a problem to you. That's your problem because we're in it for the long haul. This is what Biden said, that we're here to support that rules-based, that liberal order. That's it. And, what, and, what it, and Ben just laid it out for you. When you go, it's just a bunch of apparatchiks, all these trade regulators and all the guys running the capital markets and all the, it's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of apparatchiks, government apparatchiks. Yet it is strapped the United States that you've paid. We have paid the American taxpayer and the American working class have paid for their own destruction. That's the tragedy here. I can walk you through the math down to the fifth decimal place, how you underwrote it. Ben, your assessment of my analysis of the post-war international liberal rules-based order, sir. It was absolutely correct. Um, you know, one of the things that often gets thrown into the mix as well um, is is free trade. That's often pulled out, uh, especially these days, especially in our own movement. Um, it, it, it has a bad name, right? Um, it is often attributed as, as the, the root cause for the total destruction of the local economies throughout the Rust Belt. Um, I would come in here, however, on this point, because, of course, the, the, the ostensible point about the, the, the rules-based order is to preserve peace, but also to underwrite the parameters uh, the, the, for, for free trade. The problem here with free trade um, isn't so much free trade in and of itself, because that would have given, all other things being equal, that would have given the opportunity at least for people to pay less for goods on the global market. The problem here is the Federal Reserve. Because instead of prices being allowed to fall thanks to free trade, which would have widened people, widened people's um, discretionary income uh, and therefore improved their cost of living, what happened? Well, the, the, you know, when prices look, look at Amazon, right? The, 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 the Amazon um, with, with its, its huge possibilities for competition should have been a force to drive down prices and allow people's quality of living correspondingly to rise. No, because the Federal Reserve comes in and it pumps up prices ostensibly to 2%, right? Um, of course, it's going a lot beyond that. Um, it pumps prices up for, for, two, for, for 2%. So no matter how hard people work on that, on that hamster wheel, 
the Federal Reserve will just flick the switch and make the hamster wheel go, go even faster. Um, so people can't save for their future because their savings are being destroyed by inflation. Right. Um, right. And this is a problem of whom? It's the, it's the international rules-based order. They, they themselves, to allow themselves an indefinite stretch of grift at ordinary people's expense, have gamed the system. Right? And, and, they, and everything they have touched has ruined. So I want, I'd like to say it's not, it is not in and of itself the rules-based order or free trade that has decimated our societies both in, in, in the West, but both in the European Union and in, and in the United States to the benefit of China. Not so much that. It's the fact, and this comes back to something that Trump said right you know, he, it was, he, he was saying this since the 1980s. It's the fact that in international negotiations, we don't send yeah. our best. Now, you can say but, many things yeah. critical of, of Xi. I'll, I'll finish with this point, if I may, right? Yeah. You can say many things critical of, 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 of President Xi um, and his successors. But the CCP, in order to maintain its grip... No, I'll finish after the break. Okay, fine. Short commercial break. When I come back, by the way... What Ben said about the free trade, I'm going to get right into that because Trump, remember, when I said trade deals, commercial relationship, capital markets, we were upside down on every trade deal. Every trade deal was against the United States, except when Donald Trump came on the scene. Short commercial break, back in a moment. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Eric Prince, who uh, sat in a couple of weeks ago with us uh, to go through uh, geopolitics and what's going on in the world. Uh, he was here that day. His new obsession, it has been for the last couple of years, is secure communications. He's coming out with a new phone, that phone because of... Uh, Supply chain issues and logistics won't be out until the fall, but he's already got the uh, software and, and particularly the app to download unplugged.com forward slash war room. Go there today, download the app, the app. Once you get that, once you get the unplugged app, then you can download all your other apps. They can't track you. They can't monetize you. Uh, they, they have no ability, right? To either monetize you, get to your data or anything. This app, stops that. In addition, it's got an encryption key that every time you do a call, a new encryption key comes out. Nobody has that. But go get the information. These guys are the experts. Go check it out. And then you can contact them and talk to them directly. But go to unplugged.com forward slash war room. Uh, ben, uh, Trump, and when you talk about that on fair trade, free trade, we didn't have free trade. Each one of these areas, the EU was terrible. Japan was bad. Korea was terrible. We had, uh, this is why we got out of the TPP before we signed it. The administrative state had done a terrible job of once been gl globalist, didn't put America first. Trump said we're going to change that. So when you look around that map of the rules-based order, not only did China, the CCP, game the system to become a Goliath by stealing our intellectual property, not following any of these trade orders uh, at all, but even the individual trade deals, whether it's for the EU, for a block, or for J Korea as a country, or Japan, we were upside down. So we're underwriting the security and we're having our jobs and our economy sucked out because this is what the globalists want. Ben Harnwell. Yep, Stephen. This uh, this is something that you you've been saying as long as since as long as I've known you. The people who govern us are incompetent. Now I've actually um, 
I've actually, it's absolutely now. I've, I, I've actually formulated this into what I call um, Harnwell's ninth aphorism, which I shall read to you now. It's impossible to know with our sociopathic overlords where their incompetence ends and bad faith begins. Um, and that is something I'm pushing out pretty much these days in every single live stream I do because it's always relevant. As the CCP was sending its best in to the negotiating table before President Xi, you had uh, Hu Jintao, and before Hu Jintao, you had um, Jiang Zemin, right? Well, they, say what you like about these being, being international gangsters, and they are, um, and crooks, which they are, but they, knew how to, they know how to negotiate in their, not in China's best interest, not, not in all the ordinary um, Lao Beijing, but in the interest of the party and them personally, they know how, I mean, they're the world's best grifters, right? Our guys are grifters, but they're incompetent. This is the thing, it's the thing you've always said, and it's really sort of colored the, 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 the way I see things. The people that we send in, look at Jake Sullivan, um, a month or two ago, um, the people we send in getting lectured. By the way, in in Rome, he got he got a struggle session with Tiger Yang. <laughs> correct? He he certainly did. He certainly did. Uh, I think it would. I think it was so bad. I wouldn't even have wanted to be a fly on that wall because um, I don't like cruelty to animals. Um, so I think I, I would have naturally opposed the, the the three hours of bitch slapping. China was putting on America's um, national security advisor. It was a cruel, from everything I gather, it was a cruel moment. We send in people who are incompetent. We have a system, talking about this international rules-based system, we have a system that, that benefits a certain type of hack. Um, it's, not, it's not like the normal political system where in politics it tends to be the most alpha um, person that gets ahead, the person who commands respect and even perhaps a, a little bit of fear amongst the colleagues. That's not what you get in this in these international bureaucracies. You, it, it has a culture all of its own. It's people who can game the system for their own careers. Um, but that is perhaps, oh, that's not their only attribute. They have another attribute. These people talk. When they talk, they talk with authority. They have no idea what they're talking about. No real sense of intuition and connection between cause and effect. Um, but when they talk, they talk with a certain synthetic form of gravitas. Um, and coupled with a compliant mainstream media around the world, their words are carried as if this is the truth brought down from the mountain by Moses himself. So they have, the, they have these two attributes. They talk with a certain gravitas even though they have no idea really what they're talking about. And they know how to game the, um, the bureaucratic system, that they're, their milieu within which they are. They know how to talk to the other bureaucracies around the world. Um, what's that intersectionality thing um, that you're always talking about in the States? One of the reasons they really hated Trump was that he, he, he walked over there, the little departmental dialogues, um, and little hidden it, it, wings the of inter, the, inter, the, in, the interagency process, the fetish the of the interagency. Yeah, and it's exactly the same amongst the international bureaucracies, and that's why this shtick had been allowed to grow on and develop um, for, for for fifty years. And Steve, this this is why they hated Donald Trump so much. 
It's not that he he's a represented a threat in and of itself to the international rules-based system where rules can be good. It's the fact that he represented, you know, it's not even the fact that he represented a, a, an existential threat to the system which, which had been gamed by China to the detriment of the United States. It's that he represented a, a threat to them. It was Donald Trump who started talking about defunding the United Nations and the World Health Organization, right? This is hitting these people where it hurts. Because these people, they go, you know, look, I've got my little sinecure that will see me through until I retire, and then I'll get my kids' um, place. And we'll, you know, we'll be fine in Switzerland or Brussels. or where we're, you know, Because as you always say, these people are all the same. They have no national belonging. Um, they just, their, their citizenship is of this, in and of this order. We're going to be fine. You know, there might be a deep recession in my own home country where I was born, but I'm fine. I have guaranteed income. I have guaranteed pension. I have guaranteed health security for me and my family. I have guaranteed what six weeks off a year and all the rest of it. I can I can work four hours a day. I have all these things. They're guaranteed because no country is going to pull out of this system. That is what Donald Trump. Ben, Ben, hang on one second. I know you got to bounce. Jerome's going to join a second, but I just want to hold you through first part of the next block. Short commercial break. Ben Harnwell, we're talking about how to really win the long war. The long war of being against the Chinese Communist Party, Iran, Turkey, now Russia, Pakistan, trying to consolidate on the Eurasian landmass. All the these guys are focused on is Ukraine. Back in a moment. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. War Room Health, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today. Check it out. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us.